What was your faith like before? My faith in my early adult years was non-existent. I really didn't have a relationship with the Lord. I realized that I wasn't in control. I got on my knees and asked God for, for peace and grace and felt this incredible presence. I remember going through that whole process um, where I just had this sense of peace. We are in the third week of our series, Re Rebuilt Faith. And over the course of the series, we're looking at rebuilding and strengthening our faith in Jesus Christ. It all begins with the person of Jesus Christ. Our faith is about having a relationship with him, following him, becoming more like him. In this series, we were looking at the word steps, the five steps we can take to grow closer to him. The steps are not boxes you check off once and for all. No, they're lifestyle choices to integrate into our lives and in our own unique way, each of the steps helps us grow closer to Christ himself and develop, in fact, a Christ-like character. Last week, we looked at the step of serving, the S in steps. Jesus came, we know, not to be served, but to serve. And as we choose to serve, we add value to being there for members of our family, our spouses, our children, our place of work, volunteering at nativity, our social circles, wherever it is. We become more like Jesus Christ as we serve. And as we serve, what happens is the connection ignites our faith. Today we're looking at the letter T. T in steps, it stands for tithe and give. And while this topic makes many of us nervous, myself included, I must admit I'm excited to share it with you. I'm excited because more than any other of the steps, this one for me, tithing and giving, has the potential to make your relationships and your, and your friendship with God have a whole new level, a whole new depth. It did for me. When I was able to name my blessings, count and connect them, I was able to acknowledge them as God's provision of Nicholas, take God's concrete taking care of me. It became an easy formula that worked because the wonders that are unleashed were myriad. God, in return, for his love and care of me, I was able to have a new place, a new foundation out of which to give. And so I could name my blessings, count and connect them, acknowledge them as God's provision. My trust in God grew, and so did the way I looked at money and my own charitable giving. Well. That's my story, and it can be yours as well. Face facts. Jesus preached about money 
a lot, very often. But he talked about it not because he wanted something from people, like hand it over. He talked about money because he wanted something for them, for them. He wanted them to know his heavenly father and that his father could be trusted to provide for them. And that became the impetus, the motivation for them to give back to God. Our willingness to trust God because of his provision for us honestly opens the door to offering what we prize most. Such giving we call sacrificial because it's an offering, it's an oblation, it's a gift that we treasure and it becomes a gift that we are now able to give more generously. That kind of giving, that kind of gifting changes our futures to do whatever is good and to do it in a profound way. It literally changed my giving style. Book after book in the Bible, story after story, teaches us this truth. And no story tells it better than the story you just heard from Kristen in the first reading. Each Lent, every second Sunday of Lent, tells us some part of the story of Abraham. We learn quickly, for example, that he has no child, he has no son, no heir. His wife, Sarah, is childless. The desire for a male heir is the driving force in Abraham's life. His whole life is about having an heir to which he can pass on his life. And with this desire on his heart, God promises Abraham a son, if Abraham will leave his homeland and follow him. Much of the story of Abraham is about Abraham's coming to trust more and more in God. Well, let's say sort of trusting more and more. He trusts, but he hedges his bet. It doesn't seem much different from what I do or what you do in promising to God. God has selected Abraham to be the father and faith of God's chosen people, to be the patriarch and to eventually bless the whole world through his lineage. That was the connection. But in order to do this, for God to bless Abraham so abundantly, God needs first to lead Abraham to a place in his heart to see if Abraham completely trusts in God. These are the two forces at work in this drama between God and Abraham. Abraham wants a son, God needs to know that Abraham has complete trust in God's providence, in God's care for him. That theme is at work in this story. And it's, a, it's vital to understanding of how it relates to our own offering to God. So this is not about Abraham and his offering. It's about your offering and my offering to God. Well, Eventually, God provides Abraham with a son. We pick up the story now. It's about 13 years later after God has finally given Abraham a little boy. And this is what happens. God put Abraham to the test. He called to him, Abraham, here I am, he replies. Then God says, take your son Isaac, your only one whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. There you will 
offer him up as a holocaust on a height that I will point out to you. Now, for us moderns, we struggle to understand this passage. It's not common for us, for people to hear voices from God to kill people. However, God doesn't tell Abraham to just kill Isaac. He says, I want you to offer him as a burnt offering as a sacrifice. Now, sacrifice is a part of every religion today as it was in Jesus' time and in Abraham's time. There's something in the human soul that understands we are to give up something of importance to God for all God has done for us. So Abraham's understanding, the cultural understanding at the time is Isaac's life will be forfeited because of the family's sin. The firstborn child was always owed to God. So Abraham obeys. But as he goes, we begin to see that his faith and trust also in God grow along in the story. When they arrive at the base of Mount Moriah on the third day of travel, he says to his servant, stay here with the donkey. I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. What? To catch that? Abraham says that they will come back again to his servant. We see Abraham trusting God, that somehow Abraham and his son will come back to the servant, even if Abraham doesn't know how that ever is going to work out. Abraham then lays the wood on Isaac's shoulder, and Isaac carries it up the mountain, an indication that he's strong enough to carry the wood, so he's a teenager and in pretty good shape. Isaac knows that he and his dad are going to make a sacrifice to God. God tells us then, so Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac while he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac speaks up and says to his father, Dad, The fire and the wood are here, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Well, Abraham must have told Isaac that there would be a lamb for the sacrifice, but Isaac doesn't see the lamb or any lamb, so he asks, Dad, what are we sacrificing to God? I don't know what's going through Abraham's head when Isaac asks him the question, but here's what Abraham says. My son... God will provide himself the lamb for a burnt offering. And the two went on together. Now, all Abraham could think is that God would provide. Actually, I think he was hoping that God would provide a way out. Well, eventually, they climb up Mount Moriah to the place where God wants Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. God, though, has still not provided a sacrifice. It looks like God really wants Abraham to sacrifice what is most important and most dear to him. Let's get back to the story. When they reach the place God had told him about, Abraham builds an altar, and there he arranges the wood on it. 
he binds, he binds his son Isaac and lays him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham takes the time at the top of Mount Moriah to build an altar, arrange the wood from Isaac's back, and I guess he takes his time and goes real slow. But still, God doesn't provide the sacrifice. So still trusting God, he now binds his boy. He binds him and places him on the wood. The scripture doesn't tell us exactly when Isaac realizes that he's to be the sacrifice, but it seems that he's willing to let himself be bound. Then Abraham takes the knife to slaughter his son. Can't you just feel the, the sadness, the pain of this? Anyone who's got a child? Abraham slowly lifts his nice knife. And when he's about to sacrifice his only son, the one he treasures and loves, the one he's waited for for years, his tears and pain are broken into by a voice. The angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he answers. My guess is that Abraham is grateful for the divine interruption <laughs> and answers that call very quickly. Here I am, I'm listening. Do not lay your hand on the boy, said the messenger. Do not do the least thing to him. I know how you are devoted to God since you did not withhold from me your own beloved son. God has now brought Abraham to a place within himself where he truly trusts and is devoted to God. As Abraham looks about, he spies a ram caught by, the, by its horns in a thicket. So he goes, takes the ram, and offers it as a holocaust in place of his son. God does indeed provide a sacrifice for Abraham, but notice it's not a lamb. It's a ram caught in a nearby thicket. And Abraham takes the ram, makes the offering, the sacrifice, and he calls the place Jehovah-Jireh, which means God provides. Abraham has learned from that God of his very nature provides. And when we trust in God, like Abraham, and not in ourselves, our power, our status, our money, our stuff, then we too are able to see God's provision to us. We're able to see that God provides what we need in the moment, every moment, and we are then able to trust even more. For Abraham and for us, God provides the sacrifice, and God provides future blessing. Once again, we hear God's messenger calling to Abraham from heaven. I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you acted as you did in not withholding from me your beloved son, I will bless you abundantly and make your descendants as countless as the stars of the sky and the sands of the seashore. God is saying, now I can bless the whole world through you, Abraham, 
Now you are ready to be a father in faith. Your future blessings are on the other side of faith, obedience, and trust. What I find most compelling is that almost 2,000 years later, another beloved son will carry wood on his shoulders up a similar mountain. Like Isaac, he will be willing to sacrifice himself in obedience to his father. And he will trust that his father will provide. However, on that day, no angel stopped the soldiers from putting the crown of thorns on his head or from pounding nails into his hands and his feet. God gives us his beloved, his only son, as a sacrifice for our sins and our failures. God provides not a ram this time, but the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's a phrase you know well. In short, Jesus lays down his life for us, and three days later, God raises him to new life. So, God loves, so God gives. God loves, so God gives us his best. And now he invites us to give back to him in response so that we will grow to become like him. He invites us to give up financial resources so that we recognize he is our provider, the giver of all good gifts. He invites us to make a financial sacrifice, an act of worshiping him, as to show our devotion to him. He invites us to give so that we, as we grow in trust of him, we, he can pour even more blessings upon us, just as he did for Abraham. This is not a story about Abraham and Isaacs. It's your story and mine. And as we give because God is Jehovah, Jireh, God who's provided for us, that's the source of our energy, our commitment. Friends, this focus casts giving back money back to God in worship in a whole new light, doesn't it? If God gives me his son and giving opens me up to further blessing than making a financial offering doesn't seem as big as it once did. It seems like an exchange in which I can only win. I, for one, can tell you that money was hard to come by in the family I grew up in. My parents were from Italy. We were an immigrant family. We weren't poor, but we were certainly underclassed. There was no extra money, not even 25 cents for the matinee at the theater. And we all had a lot of hand-me-downs. My whole wardrobe, till I went to college, was my brother's old clothes. So hand-me-downs were a lot of what we wore. So we kids grew up being thrifty. Well, I'd say cheap and tight. It was my joining Nativity in 2015 that brought me to a new awareness. I found myself counting my blessings, acknowledging God's provision for me, and my growing trust that God was really in the here and now taking care of me. Over my eight years among you, my awareness has helped me grow into tithing 10% of my earnings for charitable causes. These three insights, counting your blessings, acknowledging God's provision for you, growing in trust, 
will open the way, as it did for me, to be more generous in your giving financially as an act of worship and gratitude. God's response to my tithing, well, to be honest, it has had little impact on, my, on decreasing my savings or in my monthly cash flow. Honest. God loves, so God gives. We grow as we learn to do the same as Abraham, the same as Scott and Susan. Three of our children were in a parochial school, and uh, I was on the parish council, and the pastor asked me if I would chair the capital campaign to build a new school. And after praying about it, I went back and said, sure, we'd be happy to do that. And then all of a sudden, I realized if you're the co-chair of a capital campaign, you have to make a significant gift to the campaign, because if you're not willing to give, then why would others give to the campaign? So we decided that we would forego vacations, eat peanut butter and jelly, and make a significant gift, and prayed about it, and made the commitment. We made a three-year commitment um, with our gift, and that December, for the first time since I was a banker, I received a bonus that was the exact amount of the commitment that we made for the capital campaign. God provided. Um, and that's because we both realized that we were doing His will and that we weren't giving away our money, that we were just being good stewards of the dollars that He'd blessed us with. Um, and each time we were asked to do a campaign, we went through that exact same process. We talked about our marriage in terms of, again, building a firm foundation. When we were thinking about that, I, it made me think of the cornerstone in Luke 20:17 that Father White talked about when the church was being built. And you realize when you're going through these processes of being stewards of money and where it should go, what's, you know, God's blessing, it's also setting that example for your, for your family, for your future, um, to rely on each other and support each other build on your legacy and build everything that you're working towards, whether it's marriage or business or you want God, you know, to be the leader in, in all of that in His will. So we're very confident now that um, our children understand what's important, what they need to do going forward when we're no longer around making those decisions around the, the dollars we've been blessed with. Your money follows your heart. And so we kind of see that as if your heart is in the right alignment with God, then the money is going to follow your heart. That's so you're going to give it back to God. Thanks so much for watching. Hit that subscribe button so you don't miss a single video. You can be a part of our mission to love God, love others, and make disciples simply by sharing this video. We are so grateful you are a part of this community.